Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. We are recording on Saturday, the 18th of April. This is the In Focus podcast and this is the daily COVID update show where we bring you the latest developments on the uh, spread of the novel coronavirus in India. Um, today, uh, as we end the week, uh, we um, are doing a piece with a little bit of perspective, a little bit of pause to look at what the numbers are and how we can proceed. And um, that's thanks to a piece that uh, my guest today, Swasmi Haider, has written, which you can read in the paper tomorrow. And it's on the need for a separate study on COVID-19 impact on the South Asia region. So uh, I'll let Swasmi kind of explain that. Um, premise for a bit. Swasni, hi. Welcome to the podcast again. Hi, thanks so much. And, and, and thanks for taking the time to sort of discuss a longer uh, perspective tonight on the show, because uh, yeah. I guess the truth is that we are being bombarded by numbers every day. And the numbers do seem very frightening because uh, of the large uh, figures we are dealing with, whether it is coronavirus, COVID-19 positive cases, or whether it is the fatalities. Um, however, we are enough days into this entire uh, pandemic or the, uh, the crisis, certainly, to be able to also look at whether so many of the predictions that were made, particularly about India and particularly about the region, have come true. Why were people most worried about the South Asian region? Because the levels of poverty, also yeah. the large numbers. Remember, South Asia actually constitutes 21% of the world's population. It's also a very densely populated area because if you put the eight countries together, which is India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Maldives, and Sri Lanka together, and Afghanistan uh, together, you actually only fit 3% of the world's landmass. So you've got 21% of the world's population on this small, la- small in comparison landmass. Um, and given uh, poverty levels, given illiteracy levels, there was a real fear that once the coronavirus entered South Asia, it would go completely, well, to use, to not have a better word, viral. Um, And the truth is that while the figures have been considerably, you know, growing day on day, there's no question about that. And and I don't think we're thinking in terms of seeing a peak uh, until sometime in May or at the end of May. Um, They haven't really grown as quickly as others and aren't even today at the same place that others are. So to just give you a sense of the kind of figures we came up with, and this was with the Hindus data team, that's really crunching these numbers every day. Um, The first point that they came up with was that uh, the eight SARC nations, and remember I said 21% of the world's population, but they account for 1.1% of the world's total uh, coronavirus cases, which is 22 lakhs or 2.2 million already. In terms of fatalities, the SARC total is half a percentage point of the world, which is uh, about, you know, the world has about 1,55,000 people who have died already, and 768 of those actually live in the subcontinent. Obviously, India is a large part of that um, in terms of cases and fatalities. But this kind of figure has led to many experts that we spoke to, both in government and outside, saying essentially there is a need to study the South Asian case. Uh, not to say that, you know, South Asia is some unique, uh, uh, has, has something unique in the world uh, yet, because nobody really knows uh, how this is going to go. And remember, we're still a couple of weeks behind Italy, we're a couple of weeks behind other countries that have seen the virus suddenly explode. 
Um, but is there a reason to see South Asian countries as different from their surroundings? Remember, in Southeast Asia, we've seen very high cases. Um, in uh, Iran, there has been, uh, Iran's been one of the worst hit countries. And yet you have these countries of South Asia not really growing at the same uh, rate that others have been growing. In fact, it was the Niti Aayog CEO, um, Amitabh Kant, who, who you know, pointed to a study, I think the Niti Aayog had put out, uh, in which they said, uh, just uh, look at the, the, the number of days, you know, Italy, US and India, all saw their first coronavirus cases within 10 days of each other. And yet, um, by day 46, Italy was already 1,300 times the number of cases in India. By day 65, um, the US was about 25 times India's cases. Now, what's the big hole in this theory? And I know you're going to point it out, Jen, is the very low levels of testing in the region. Yeah. Uh, and this yeah. is something we've been discussing on our podcast as well, that um, yeah, that, yeah, we discuss it every day. Yes, yeah. That, yeah, no, you go, know, no, please the, go ahead. Yeah. The region has such low levels of testing. So, taking that also yeah. into account, um, if you look at the figure of uh, per million uh, people per million who are being tested, which is the figure that is being used worldwide, um, and you, uh, you compare the region to it, it's much lower, much, much lower. I mean, uh, countries like the US test. 9,367, I think it's now more than 10,000 people per million of its population. Uh, yeah. Italy tested nearly double that. And yet, uh, in India, we're testing close to 250 people per million. Pakistan, 370 people per million. So it's, it's much, much lower. So that is correct. Um, yet, what uh, some experts are pointing out to is look at the numbers of those testing positives within uh, the actual um, uh, percentage that is being tested. So uh, if you look at those figures, South Asia once again comes towards the bottom end. So France showed, for example, 42% of those who were tested actually came positive. Um, and Italy showed about 15%. The US showed about 20%. And then when you come to India, it was 4.7%, maybe a little more now, but it was a, a, around that. Um, and we're, uh, you know, looking at similar figures for Pakistan, less than 10%, Bangladesh also, and Sri Lanka was around 5%. Um, so these are some of the things that make up the theories. Um, we don't want to speculate. Uh, so I don't want to go into what really could be the reasons. I can just point out that other, different people are pointing out to different things. The World Bank study, for example, points to the fact that every South Asian country has actually shown fairly strict levels of lockdown. So is that one reason? Uh, others have pointed to the fact, uh, you know, that theory about the BCG immunity uh, from the BCG vaccine, which has not yet really been proven, but the ICMR, yeah. the Indian Council of Medical Research, is going to start some sort of observational studies next week uh, to see if there is a link between the two. There are those who point out to the fact, what else is South Asia really well known for, unfortunately? is that it is home to 40% of the world's uh, tuberculosis cases. Uh, is there a link between the kind of immunity people have because there's such a high rate of tuberculosis in the subcontinent to um, this kind of lower figure? That's another question many people are asking. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it gives rise to a whole number of different theories uh, that could come out because, um, uh, you know, you can look at the fact that it's age-wise the subcontinent has a much younger population to the rest of the world. Is that one of the reasons? 
um, and uh, 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 you know also has is there and there is literally no evidence so far of this. Uh, the ICMR says, but is there a different strain that hits the sub subcontinent? Most people are discounting it. But all I'm saying is, while we we can't speculate about the exact reason, if it is true that South Asia maintains this trend and uh, remains below the curve. Uh, it's certainly worth asking for a study on the subject, and many experts are already doing that. Yeah, and just to be clear, we're not exactly expressing outright optimism here, just saying that uh, it may be good to conduct a study of this kind for this region. And uh, this is not something that we've really seen so far, Suhasini, a study of this kind, because what we've uh, seen in terms of both studies and mathematical modeling has been very country-specific. Well, I think so far a lot of the assessments have been country specific because each country is uh, dealing differently uh, with the crisis. Some of them are actually grappling with the crisis simply because of their healthcare um, uh, yeah. infrastructure. Others are grappling with the crisis because it, it just spread because of a lot of traveling between uh, countries. Um, so the truth is that most people have been looking at uh, it as a country specific thing so far. But I think the time has come where we can expand a little bit of the scope of various theories. After all, um, it is true that Africa has shown lower rates of infection yeah. thus far. Again, maybe a factor of testing, but it is lower. Latin America, another uh, region that is uh, showing, or South America, another region showing lower numbers. Is it that the global south is doing better than others because of other reasons? Or is it, again, because uh, we're just not looking at the statistics right? Uh, so you're you're right that kind of study hasn't happened yet, uh, but that that kind of study is the natural progression, really, um, Jant. And, yeah. and I and I think uh, that's what people are getting more interested in. Is is there something larger they could talk about than uh, simply as as they come to terms with how to counter the virus? Uh, they are certainly looking. After all, this is where you know different lines of treatment are being discussed. Is what is giving one person immunity and not another? If um, if the UK has tried and possibly not very successfully tried to uh, build this idea of herd immunity, is there actually some basis for what they're uh, saying as well? So I, I think there's a lot of conjecture, a lot of speculation at this time. So here's one more theory that really should be uh, tested against figures over a period of time. Remember, there's one more point that people are saying about South Asia. And this is interesting yeah. because South Asia doesn't have the health infrastructure that the first world does. We're seeing countries like Italy and the U.S., I mean, places like New York, the richest city on earth, collapsing under the weight of their health infrastructure, uh, not being able to cope with the numbers they are seeing. You're not seeing that yet in South Asia. Why is that? Is that still to come even when we hit the peak? Um, somebody showed me figures of uh, Delhi, for example, just the city of Delhi, which is one of the worst hit in the country. It is an area where none of its districts are actually in, uh, you know, have uh, are without COVID cases. And it has, I think, over 70 um, containment zones now. And yet, if you look at the figures of the hospitals that the Delhi government puts out every day, uh, you see the numbers in hospital are about a thousand or a little more. But the numbers who are in the ICU are fairly small. I mean, they've been between 30 to 50 people at, at any given time over the last few weeks. And the numbers within the ICU that have needed the ventilator intervention are even lower, less than 10 at times. Um, this right. is by no means overwhelming the health infrastructure at this time. And if that is the case in many parts 
um, of South Asia, where we're not hearing yet about these kind of things. Again, it's anecdotal, but it gives rise to the question, should there be some kind of a region-specific study? Okay, right. So I would love to discuss this topic even more, but we just have to move on to uh, another sto big story today, Swasni, that's um, actually been getting a lot of play since morning. And that is that um, India has changed the uh, foreign direct investment rules. Specifically, it seems to prevent uh, kind of opportunistic takeover. Um, I don't know if this is specifically directed at Chinese companies, but that's what that's very much the spin it's getting at the moment. So could you just explain this a little bit? Well, it is a, a slightly strangely worded or unusually worded, if you like, um, uh, uh, you know, notification from the government. Uh, it follows also from, if you remember a few days ago, the um, the investment in HDFC uh, yeah. bank uh, by a Chinese company. And um, and many had looked at that and said, does this mean that companies that are in distress in India are more vulnerable to a takeover, uh, particularly from China? Now, the notification itself, which is a press note put out by um, the Ministry of Commerce, uh, the section that deals with foreign direct investment says, uh, is actually called a review of the FDI policy for curbing opportunistic takeovers and acquisitions of Indian companies due to the current COVID-19 pandemic. So it is very specific to the present time, and it's a question of whether this will be reviewed later. Uh, but it essentially says that what they have reviewed is, uh, what they have revised is to ensure um, that an entity of a country which shares land borders with India uh, or where the beneficial owner of an investment into India is situated in, in, as a citizen in any of these countries. Now, countries that have a land border with India at present, uh, with the exception of China, are not big investors in the country. Pakistan certainly not. Uh, neither is Bangladesh, Bhutan, Nepal really seen as a threat or, a, or having an ability at this time in the middle of the coronavirus uh, pandemic to um, take undue advantage of any Indian company. So it looks like it is uh, completely pointed towards China um, and uh, essentially puts strictures on how uh, their foreign direct investment could, should go through and said that it has to go through uh, the government at present and, um, and that the government uh, route, as it is called, the government route is something that will be pursued uh, in order to uh, in order to take in these investments. Now, these investments, I should point out, are not just in financial instruments and uh, in funds and all the rest, but also in manufacturing in different parts of the country. And it remains to be seen whether China will respond uh, to this very pointed measure um, or whether, uh, you know, this will tide over diplomatically. It's certainly a fairly unusual, um, with a certain urgency uh, notification that has been put out and it seems for the moment quite pointed at India's northern and much larger neighbor. Right. We're going to end this podcast with an update from the health ministry where um, some figures and percentages have been released about the number of cases that uh, can be linked back to the Tablighi Jamaat convention. Yes, that issue is back um, in a big way, it seems, today. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll end this podcast with a segment from Jacob Koshi that's been recorded remotely. And so, Asni, um, it's been really nice to do something a little bit different today mm -hmm. and kind of reflect a bit. Well, thanks for so, giving us uh, the time. You. Right, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we'll end with Jacob Koshi. Here he is. COVID-19 cases in India today touched nearly 15,000, with deaths hovering around 500. In yet another day, that was that posted an increase of nearly eight, 900, 800 to 1,000, which 
is what the trend that we have been overall observing for the past uh, four or five days. As we enter, as we finish nearly the third week of, of the lockdown, the health ministry also said that it has begun a trial uh, conducted, uh, overseen by the ICMR to check the efficacy of the BCG vaccine. And results of this will be known in the next couple of days, according to ICMR officials. However, a lot of focus at the health ministry briefing today was again on the Tablighi Jamaat cluster. It now emerges that of near, of India's nearly 15,000 odd uh, infections, about 30% could be attributed to the Tablighi Jamaat. And the relative contribution in various states are quite high. For instance, in Tamil Nadu, 84% of the cases could be attributed to, the, to, the, to this cluster. In Delhi, 63%. Telangana, nearly 80%. Uttar Pradesh nearly 60%, Andhra Pradesh 61%, and Assam as as much as 91%. However, it is important to note that the, the numbers, the absolute numbers in all of these states are extremely varied. It is very uh, it is disingenuous to com- compare the numbers in Assam to that of Telangana and to uh, Delhi. So in absolute percentages, it might look like the contribution is very high, but... Uh, it also bears questioning as to what whether other clusters, for instance, the spike, the the massive rise in cases we are seeing in Indore, or the uh, or the massive rise in infection in Mumbai, can they be attributed to attributable to specific clusters? And if so, what is the driving force behind these uh, particular cases? However, details on these aspects weren't really available. But on the other hand. The government said several steps were being taken for the prevention, containment, and management of COVID-19. Uh, the government was con- is saying that there is good results available of this of their action plans in 23 states, and that you know several that 22 new districts in 12 states have not reported any fresh cases during the last 14 days. Nearly 14% of people who have got COVID, who have been diagnosed with COVID infections are between 0 and 45 years. And 42%, by far the largest percentage, are from 75 years and above. It also shows that 83% of the cases had comorbidities. And this highlights the older point that, you know, it is those with uh, associated uh, other infections, such as cardiovascular diseases or diabetes, were at greater risk for uh, for the disease. So overall, it was a day which showed a certain, a constant rise in number of cases as well as uh, an increase in testing by the ICMR.